another episode of the In Real Deep podcast. I'm your host, Steve Cimino, senior writer at InRealDeep.com. And with me, as always, executive editor, Andrew Johnson. Hello, Andrew. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2019. And in true welcome to 2019 fashion, we are going to talk about 2018 exclusively <laughs> for possibly an hour. As long as we want to go. We have no time limit. We're here on the In Real Deep podcast. We're not talking about Christmas. We're not talking about any of the world that your brother trapped us in. We, But we are looking back <laughs> at uh, at the best of the last year. Yeah, maybe maybe like one of my picks for the best of 2018. It could be 2018: A Love Story, and we can go 20 hours on <laughs> on on what was good and bad about 2018. I, Andrew, I did not know that existed until I read our best of. That was I know that that was a thing. That sounds really interesting. Uh, yeah, well, I'll talk about it in a little bit. But yes, yeah. yes, and what we'll we're there. talking about. If you are not aware, please go to inrealdeep.com or any of our social media channels and find the best of 2018. You'll see it; it's very prominent, and it is Andrew and I's recap of the 10 best movies of the last year. And how we're going to approach this this year is how we've approached the previous years. We combine our mutual choices and talk about them in detail. And then we have some other ones that do crack our top 10 that we both love, but that sort of get second billing because we try and be a cohesive unit. And we are going to choose from those five crossover ones that we both chose this year and pick a best movie of the year. And Andrew, we were praising ourselves before we started recording at how good our previous choices have been and how well they've stood the test of time. Yeah, so just to review, I think we started doing this in 2014, so this will be our fifth like official in real deep year movie of the year choice. And uh 2014 was Whiplash, and 2015 was Creed, and 2016 was Moonlight, and 2017 was Get Out. So I feel very good about all of those movies. I still I still remember all of them fondly, you know. So uh There's so not a should... me Earl and the dying girl in the bus. <laughs> no, no. No, 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 no dilute. I mean, so, you know, obviously we picked the ones that we we overlap on. I think this this year might feature the most overlap for us, at least since we've done this format of of sharing the list. Um, That's probably partially because I just don't see as much anymore and and rely on your your recommendations to pick and choose my spots. But um, (laughs) but yeah, I don't know. Maybe not. Or maybe we're just like an old married couple and we're just starting to merge into one. We also didn't differ too hard from the cultural norms or the critical norms this year. I think there's really only one in our top five that is not beloved by everyone. And even that one has gotten great reviews. It just is not an awards movie per se, but it still has gotten a few awards. So, I mean... I think that, you know, and we'll talk about this on a later episode, I think the the top tens and the even most of the awards choice I've seen are all fine. There's a few outliers, but I think we are in that meaty part of the curve, and with good reason, because I think there were some, some standouts this year that we both liked. Yeah, well, and the other thing that I, we should talk about a little bit, like, before we sort of dive in, is, and you put this as a note in the in the piece, was like, um, that this felt like a... You know, we I, we always kind of assess like, was it a what what kind of year was it? And this felt like a a quality or a quantity over quality year, right? There was like I and I I kind of, I think that's what you're saying, and I kind yep. of felt that way too, which is like a lot of really good stuff for me, like not really one even on that top five that I would consider like truly great in the way that actually like I look back to last year and I think last year was like kind of the opposite. Like I think Get Out and Dunkirk were two like sort of instant classics and those were like our top two last year and i look at these and i'm like i don't really see um one that that jumps out right away is like i know i know i know like five years from now that's going to be like you know uh we're still going to be talking about that so but there was still a lot of very good stuff to sort of chew on i didn't have any problems even though i barely go to the movie theater anymore i didn't have any problems coming up with 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 10 um 10 choices and I left some on the cutting 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 room floor so to speak so yep I agree I think I think it was a quantity over quality year which is not a bad thing just sort of a you know like you said it varies from year to year and I will say I put this in the in, our, in the best of as well 
this was a year for me where I thought moments really carried the day. Like, as yeah. much as I liked yeah. these movies, I definitely had no qualms about including them. Like you said, it was easy to choose 10 or at least find 10 great ones that I really enjoyed. But a lot of the stuff about the, the especially the five that we, you know, chose as our five crossover best, that a lot of them were driven by moments. Like Black Klansman, which we'll get into in a little bit, if that didn't end the way it did, I don't think it would have made my top 10. And it's weird to say that because it's still a very enjoy. I still had a great time watching that movie. I think it was really well done. I think I had a lot to say. I think it was very entertaining as well. But it it really did. The ending really tied it together. Stars Born is a moment driven movie to say the least. You know, yeah. again, not doesn't mean it's bad otherwise. But there's two or three moments that just rise it above you know the rest. Right. Right. So right. I think that was an interesting year. And I think that is that is probably. You know, saying it out loud does sort of imply that the movie as a whole is not of, you know, like you said, instant classic ilk. But that that's also a high standard to hold movies to. We've been doing this for a long time. I don't think either yeah. one of us gets perturbed when there's no instant classics. We just want to have a good year at the movies and see a lot of fun things. Yeah, no, and, and honestly, when I think about the last five years, the that Get Out Dunkirk thing that happened last year, that feels rare in the context of the last five years. Um, like, to have two movies like that where I'm like, I, you know, like I, I walked out of the theater after I saw Dunkirk and I was like, that's the best war movie I've seen in 25 years. I mean, like, or that's come out in like 25 years, probably since Saving Private Ryan. Like, that's not a, that's not a usual thing. Yep. <laughs> I think. And it usually takes time for those classics to sort of emerge, right? They don't, um, that's not to say there's not one in this bunch or one that we haven't even listed, but um, just that. Just that it was it, it it's unusual for that sort of greatness to be so read, readily apparent, I guess. Yes, I totally agree. Andrew, I hear you clinking your glass. Before we get too far, let's do beverage of choice. No more more like Christmas beer. Back to beverage <laughs> of choice. Let's talk about I have a nice staple here, nothing too fancy, nothing too crazy. I have a nice tall Guinness from a can mm -hmm. into a big old glass, and it's settling nicely and it's very delicious. Uh, I'm also drinking a standby. I've, I think I've probably had this drink more than any other on these podcasts. Um, and that is just my classic bullet bourbon with a little bit of ginger ale on, on top and a nice little rocks glass. Um, I, I had a Christmas beer and that was the only beer I had in my house. And I was like, I can't, I can't do, <laughs> can't do more like Christmas. Your brother beer. would be so betrayed if you yeah, were to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. Before we get into our top five, let's talk about a few from the rest of our list that we really liked. Because just because a movie didn't make the five shared list doesn't mean you know there, there's there's one in particular that I probably enjoyed more than some of the ones that made the shared top five. But the rules are the rules, and I will not try to you know betray them in the heat of the moment. But I will say one that I really enjoyed. I know you liked it as well, but it just to me was a fantastic, the, probably the most enjoyable movie I saw the entire year was the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah. I love the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I love the Coen brothers. I think it is not nearly as, you know, memorable as some of their other movies in terms of just being a cohesive story because of the split into multiple parts element. But I think it is the perfect you know, foray into a Netflix streaming movie for them. I don't know the genesis of the movie. I can't say that they made it with that in mind. I doubt it. They don't seem like they work based on, you know, a format or, a, or you know, based on where it's going to be seen. But regardless of that, it was just, it's just so great. And the segments are fantastic. I think if I saw it in theaters, I'd feel the same way. But I really thought, you know, as someone who watched it, but, you know, on Netflix twice, I just enjoyed both times immensely. I think it's great. It's not one of their classics, but I still thought it was wonderful. And I was really, I think, you know, I would take a new Coen Brothers movie every year. And I think the way they presented it, it, it worked very, very well. And I found it to be a great watch. Uh, also a perfect movie for the, the, the year of moments, right? Because in, in the, the, the nature of the, the short, you know, short stories stacked up, you know, next to each other is, is kind of lends itself to these moments. Um, I love Ballad of Buster Scruggs as well. As you know, I'm a huge fan of Westerns and, um, like Westerns are like sort of the perfect genre for the Coen brothers as as like true grit sort of demonstrated. Um, and you know, like one of the best moments. Well, I loved. That. We can talk about which stories we, which which parts of that we loved. I personally love the Liam Neeson, um, armless, legless guy story. <laughs> it was so so dark. 
The look oh, in Neeson's man. eye when he's walking back to the cart and ready to throw the guy in the water is yeah. just fan. That's that's acting, you know, with no words and with and from a distance, like it's just so perfect. Um, as an aside, my I had to explain to my father-in-law that he definitely threw the guy off the bridge. <laughs> he was like, "Well, they never showed it." I was like. He'd throw him off the bridge. Like, I think the card like, is okay. noticeably so anyway, empty the uh, next time they show it, too. So there's a clear lack of a armed, well, legless person in there. Yeah, but he was like, he, he thought he like left him in the town. I was like, he did not leave him in the town. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no. Um, I mean, I... I, I I was surprised I, I didn't actually put this in my top 10. I, like, the Coen brothers are like a slam dunk usually. I even put Hail Caesar, which I think came out two years ago, my top 10 then. So yeah, it's it's great. I don't like I I loved I loved it. It was great. It's great. It's all right. I, it's, I, 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 I believe that you liked it. I, I and it was okay. Like it's I'm glad six crossovers would have been a tough choice to pick one from. So five is a nice meaty number. I think it's good. I think it all worked out very well. I'm as surprised as anyone else that a Coen Brothers Western didn't make my top ten. Well made. <laughs> so. I just, it just, that's I mean, just it, it the nature of the feel. I will say it doesn't always feel like a movie though. It just the way it's presented, there's movie stars in it. It's very well done, but a lot of the segments are very short and a little punchy and, and fun more than, you know, I guess full fledged stories. I didn't mind at all, but I could see it maybe just not resonating the same as some of their longer and more cohesive fairs that have the narrative structure that you'd come to expect from them. Yeah. But that and that would be a great excuse if it, if it wasn't for one of the movies I want to talk about, which <laughs> which I, I honestly stretched the definition of a movie in the other direction. Uh, but it's similar in that it's sort of vignettes and that the one uh, it, it's uh, I, I mentioned this in the piece. It's like my most recommended movie. And I'm air quoting as I say that of the year. Uh, and that is Basketball, a love story, which aired on ESPN. It's about 20 hours long, I think, in total. And it is like a comprehensive history of basketball right up to the present day. It does college, NBA, WNBA, ABA. That's some of the most fun parts of it. And um, I just, if I love, we haven't talked about it much on this podcast because really why would me? I, I'm, I'm a, a basketball player, a huge fan of basketball. I love basketball. So um, this was obviously right up my alley. And they also the thing I also really like about it, especially and especially surprised me, given that it was on ESPN, was that they didn't duck, you know, uncomfortable truths. Um, you know, I mentioned this like they they talk, they do a long thing on the WNBA. And I'm like, are they going to talk about the fact that a lot of WNBA fans are, are lesbians? And they they do. They just dive right in, um, which I really thought like sort of help uh, you know i respected it now again i maybe i've stretched the definition of a movie it's a documentary but it's you know it's it's shown on tele a cable television network it's really long I, I i didn't watch it in one sitting or even you know one night it took me like two months to honestly that's get good. through that's healthy that you didn't do that that would <laughs> be a lot of basketball but uh i mean i i think it qualifies um mainly because it's not it's not it, it it's actually a lot like Buster Scruggs in some ways it's not it's 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 um it's vignettes but it's not it's not it's not episodic you're not like watching one thing to the next and it's not really in chrono it's sort of in chronological order but not really um so anyway uh, I'm I can talk forever about it but I I do recommend it if any you know and you can find it on your all your streaming services with the ESPN if you have that so I mean, there's precedent for it, too, because we put, um, I believe you put O.J. Made in America on a list yeah. previously as well. So, which I think is, maybe it sounds more of a movie than a 20-hour, you know, yeah. history of basketball type deal, but still close enough. Like, at a certain point, are we splitting hairs? Like, it all, it's all yeah. a movie. It's fine. It's well, yeah. it's well made. It costs a lot of money. It was a big deal. It tries to tell a story. Like, that That counts. That's fine. Yeah. Well, O.J. Made in America, forget me, one an Oscar for best documentary. Yes. So, so um, yeah, so we, I mean, we don't like the Oscars necessarily, but it still is a determinant of what's a movie. So certainly fits the bill in that regard for sure. Yeah. So anyway, go check it out. If you like basketball, it's, it will take you forever to watch, but it's a good <laughs> thing on the DVR and that sort of thing too. Uh, the last one I want to talk about that didn't crack our top 10 or our, our shared top five is I think because you didn't see it and I don't think it would have anyway, but Creed two. 
Creed may was our best movie of the year a few years ago. Creed 2 is nowhere near as good as Creed 1. I admittedly did not even review Creed 2 because it just came out in a time when I was seeing movie after movie after movie and I didn't get a chance to do it. But that doesn't because I didn't like it. I thought it was great. But I also think it was great in the context of being a Rocky movie. I think it paid so much homage to other great moments and characters and situations in the grand scope of the Rocky story and it really it felt like a great sort of ending in so many ways to elements of that story it packed way too much in there it's crazy busy it, it really could have been two or three separate movies about Adonis Creed but regardless I love the Rocky franchise I will I think there's a whole separate podcast Andrew where I just say the Rocky franchise is the greatest franchise in the history of movies but regardless of whether that's true or not, I'm a huge fan, and I think this paid, this you know really did a great job of encapsulating so many elements that we like, bringing back so many characters, and, and I think being super entertaining and super enjoyable as well. So it definitely was a bit more of a Homer pick. I don't think objectively it is one of the 10 best movies of the year, but when it came down to it and I had to choose that or something else, some other artsy-fartsy movie or some documentary, I thought, you know what, Creed 2, loved it. I don't know when we're getting Creed 3, maybe, never, who's to say? but I felt like it should be on the list because I wanted it to be and I'm in charge of that so it's on well you know I I, I think we agreed a few years ago and, and, and we haven't really changed the format from a criteria perspective that you know, best to us means the ones we like the best. You know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, I put pop star never stop, never stopping in our list last year. <laughs> Cause I think that movie is fucking hilarious. Do I think that like from an objective perspective, it like deserves an Academy award or what, or whatever sort of honor you could bestow upon it? Uh, <laughs> no, but I thought it was hilarious and um, it, it belongs. So, you know, get, I, I I I support you, and uh, and I I'm used glad to call you call it ten favorite, and I think it just became best of is just so much easier to say and talk yeah. about, like, yeah. Yeah. and it just sounds better. But you're right, yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly the mindset I took into it as well. And I'm glad you referred to Emilio Ventimiglia as Peter Petrelli. Um, <laughs> of course, for, for, I felt bad you. spoiling that. That's going to be a shame for the. If you, I mean, if you haven't seen Creed two yet, it's sort of on you. But that is to me the 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 one of the best parts is seeing him come back for thirty seconds. So. I haven't, but I also haven't seen. I don't think I ever saw Rocky Balboa. So. Oh well, then you wouldn't even appreciate how great it is that Milo's there. So. <laughs> Okay, the only other one I will mention here, I really wanted to talk about Sorry to Bother You a little bit, but I really feel like I need to rewatch that movie. I just really liked it at the time, and I think it's a very clever satire. But the one that really stuck out to me, and I know you saw this one as well, is um, is Tully, um, which uh, I think probably got – it's actually – I've seen it pop up in a few like sort of top ten lists or like, you know – not a lot. I don't think it's like a consensus choice or anything, but I'm glad other people enjoyed it. But as a as a parent with small children and, and more than one, um, it sort of spoke to me um, and and my wife when we when we watched it. <laughs> um, obviously, I can only imagine. Obviously, my wife's not having some sort of mental breakdown. I hope, um, <laughs> and hopefully, I'm a better uh, better husband than Ron Livingston. Um, but uh, but I do think it's sort of like it it um, I mean it's it's it strikes at the heart of like two things one caring for these little humans that you created and that you love truly unconditionally and two the fact that when you're doing that and they're young and they need all this help and assistance and love and support that um, you're. <laughs> your your very identity is at risk so one of the reasons i'm sort of sitting here talking on this podcast is to try and keep those little parts of you know my own personality and identity like like separate a little bit um and i thought it was also just a really funny movie a great charlie's their own role i mean they made her look terrible in it um which is kind of amazing <laughs> she still um, looks pretty good though all things considered she looks like a, she looks like a very very attractive yes. recently mom who recently gave birth yes and uh like a great collaboration between jason reitman and 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 diablo cody which is like feels like it's 10 years ago when i say that um and uh so i i just i just thought it was it was great an unvarnished funny sort of clever it, take on parenthood and i just haven't seen that or at least i haven't seen it since i became a parent um so 
I thought it was no, great. I, I, I thought it was great, too. It wasn't top 10 for me, but it was not far off, and I am not a parent. So I thought it was, you know, even just from the total outside perspective with no inside knowledge of what that entails, I thought it nailed a lot. At least was, if it didn't, I mean, I'm glad to hear it nailed it, but even to me it was emotional and powerful, you know, just uh, just speculating as to what it would be like. So I, that's a good choice. I'm glad you gave it a, a rub there because I thought it was definitely worthy of being on some people's lists, and I'm glad it was on yours. So. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes the movie's got to speak to you at the right time of your life to sure, to, to, to get in the top ten. So situation is key, you know. If you see some, that's one thing I'll talk about when we get to our crossover five movies. Is it's it's a situational movie that was released on a platform that I do not feel is the best situation to consume it. But we will get there in the not too distant future. So let's, but along those lines, let's move into, let's go to the five that we both liked. Let's go to what we dubbed the five best of the year. Whether I said whether that's accurate or not exactly, it's the way it is. So let's it's, talk about them one by one, Andrew, and let's break down what we liked about them. It's it's our five best. It's our five best. I should have put our, yeah, the yes. is, is an inaccurate. That's way too definitive, but you're right. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right, so we'll just go in order of alphabetical order, right? So we'll, we'll start with uh, Black Klansman, which is a Spike Lee film with, uh, I don't, I, well, so I, as I wrote on in the piece, it, uh, it, it, it was the most fun I had in a movie, th- I didn't go to the movie theater a lot this year, but it was the most fun I had in a movie theater uh, this year, right up until the moment it was very not fun, which was the very end. Um but I I thought it was a totally necessary end from director Spike Lee. Um, so it's this obviously the story of uh, for anyone who doesn't know the story of a black cop who impersonates a white supremacist over the phone, and he has his partner then pretend to be him and all this stuff um, with with David Duke uh, in the 1970s. So it's like this fun period piece, and so it's not fun exactly, but it's. It's enjoyable. It's kind of a romp buddy comedy in some ways with like kind of scary white supremacist on the fringes of it. Um, (laughs) And then it, you know, well, we we can talk about the ending, which closes with footage of what happened in Charlottesville, you know, which draws a straight line from the 1970s to, to to now and the flavor of white supremacists we have now and makes the point that, you know, this isn't all fun you know it's it's really not fun actually uh but i think it also goes back to the beginning of the film which shows um you know clips of uh birth of a nation by dw griffith griffith and so it it in in some ways draws this line all the way back to the beginning of cinematic history and 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 points to the the role of film in sort of entrenching racism you know about way back when um and so it is it's just a, a film of the moment. Um, it's enjoyable, really enjoyable in between those those moments. So there's a love story, you know, we get Denzel's son emerging as, you know, potentially a, you know, very, a leading man in his own right. Um, uh, but it is, it is punctuated by these moments. And these Spike Lee, these really classic Spike Lee moments, it's got to be the best Spike Lee movie in a long time, um, maybe since 25th Hour, I would say. Um, so... Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling now. I, I'm sure you've got things to say, Steve. <laughs> I just so, wanted you to bring up Topher Grace. I was waiting to oh, disrespect oh. Topher like that. Eric Foreman, you mean? <laughs> Eric Foreman. Eric Foreman in his, you know, breakthrough role, maybe to some extent as a as a legitimate actor. He's good in traffic too, but in a more minor point, he does he does a great work here. It's uh, as David Duke. He um, that's a really dark shitty character to play and it's great you know subverting what we know about eric foreman slash topher grace as a human and actor like having him dip into that role and do such a great job and be menacing on occasion and sort of show how that sort of pleasant mask of intelligence uh, can turn into a mask of hate and disgust so easily like i thought it was a really it really was a great you know playing off of dry adam driver and and john david washington it was um it was just uh, they were all, all three main people, and everyone in it really was terrific, and they all seemed to get the tone really well, which I think is an underrated element of a good movie: is the actors understanding what the director is going for. I think there's no doubt that you know they they got what Spike was trying to do. Yeah, and I think you know that um, God, how long has Spike Lee been around? You know that speaks to to his 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 power as a director when he gets a, a great um, a great script in his hands. You know, it's like. I've seen so, a lot of his stuff in between, you know, I, I really look back to 25th hour as his, his last sort of like 
really great work and um uh up until this one and you know i think we kind of it's easy to take spike lee and for granted and how unique he is um as a, as a director i mean this is that's the other thing i would say about this this that's that entry in the in this list is that it, it's this is such a classic spike lee film in like in like a good way so he seems to be a guy you know 25th hour notwithstanding which is a bit of a departure he seems to be a guy who's fueled when he's passionate about what he's you know yeah. making a movie about yeah. and 25th hour is a great you know you wouldn't if you saw that you know based on the, the cast makeup at the very least you wouldn't necessarily know it's a spike lee movie though it does have some flourishes you've come to expect but the time in between has been some you know like inside man some some movies like that that are well made but i i don't don't really move the needle for me in any unique way and then an old boy the remake in particular is certainly curious and yeah this this is a really uh, it, it, he he seemed uh, for very understandable reasons incredibly fired up like this is a movie he had and wanted and needed to make and it uh it shows on the screen so i agree it's a very very good choice um yep. Then there's a few, maybe the most different type of director you can get, at least in, uh, in a big movie that is popular and well, yeah. and relatively well known. It's Yorgos Lanthimos and the favorite. Uh, I was so happy, Andrew, that you put this on here because I've been a Yorgos lover for a while now. Though I agree, his movies are very difficult to wrap your head around sometimes, and on purpose, I would say most of the time. But that doesn't make him any easier to sit through. If you know, perhaps it's even worse to know that the director is challenging you to that extent when you watch his films. But the favorite is definitely the most accessible of his movies, which is also saying something, given that how weird it is in so many different ways. But it does follow a general structure. It's not hard to wrap your head around. The characters more do and say weird things as opposed to it being a yeah. weird movie necessarily yeah. Yeah. and it's and, and what makes it even more unique in a good way is that it's three female leads who are all fantastic all receive oscar nominations and all do their part and to me what i loved about this movie is you can make a case for each one of them as a sympathetic protagonist yeah. you could also make a strong case that they're the antagonist or the problem or the issue yeah. or awful people but they all they, they get enough fleshing out that you sort of understand why they're doing what they're doing and why it makes sense and and i think that's that's a feat in and of itself and I just think it's a great movie, and I, I'm sort of amazed that there is this critical and even, you know, sort of cultural <laughs> consensus around it. But I'm just happy that Yorgos is getting a little bit of love, and that maybe he'll, you know, still find this medium between being weird as shit and sort of normal. Because I think there's a meaty ground for a movie like this that is this good, and and still, you know, makes you furrow your brow and raise an eyebrow and wonder what the hell's going on. I mean, first I would just say it's still. Yes, in the context of his other films, it's like the least weird of them, but it's still a pretty fucking weird movie. Um, <laughs> it's like good. I'm glad, but it's, it's not like the lobster. It's not. It's not. You know, no, some weird dystopian no. universe where so, people turn into animals. So my, I, I guess, like to talk a little bit from my perspective, like I, and I haven't seen um, the killing of a sacred deer. I didn't. I didn't get to that. I uh, will get to it probably this this spring, because um, now I want to kind of want to re revisit that. Um, but like of his stuff i always love the setup for his movies like i love the setup of the lobster it was just like for me there were just too many moments in that movie that i just felt were like weird for the sake of being weird and weren't particularly enjoyable either mm -hmm. and um the favorite is like probably the funniest movie i saw all year um and like everything with uh what's the the the, the foppish guy the foppish actor who's nicholas uh, holt? yeah nicholas holt everything with him is like really funny um and you're right like all of the the, the three female like i guess they're not leads well according to the academy they're not leads but i would call them all co-leads in their own way are just are just great and um yeah i just i i just i just i just think back on watching that movie with sort of a, a wry smile um and it's still like again yeah it's not as weird as his other stuff but it's still in, an insanely weird movie um so uh, it's, it's, it's great too because i think part of what's weird is 
just that people were weird back then too. You know? yeah, and they, yeah, yeah, the things, yeah. Though obviously parts of it are exaggerated and ridiculous, but part of it is just seeing the things they wore and the, the like, just yeah. the whole demeanor of just how society operated in 18th century England is insane. And it's just so it's hard to imagine these are, that we're all the same species of, of creature. You know, when you see stuff like that. So I thought that it was a very good use of his. Like I, 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 I again, this is the kind of movie where I'd love to know some more about the back. Background. Like, did he seek out a period and a script that sort of fit his sensibilities, or did he just fall into his lap one day and he just ran with it? I don't know enough of the details, but it's it definitely it fits his his whole thing to a T, and I I'm just glad everybody likes it so much. Yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 a fun, you know, not not your average uh, period piece costume drama for sure. I was really um, creeped out by the bunnies too. I don't know why, but bunnies freak me out i don't oh, think they're yeah. cute i think they're weird and there's a lot and especially the ending like there's a lot of boat zooms on bunnies that really made me yeah. uncomfortable yeah and really good point about the weirdness of the time too because like think about you know we have sort of the same constitutional monarchy in 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 the united kingdom obviously the, the sway in power is quite a bit different right so and you have this one queen Anne, this one woman being swayed by her two uh her two lovers um yeah just a bizarre and great great movie i hope it i hope it wins wins some things on uh, on oscar night for sure i would love to see olivia <clears throat> win that'd be really fun yeah all right moving on to another i would say kind of strange piece but more contemporary uh is first reformed which uh is by written and directed by paul schrader who did uh i believe wrote taxi driver if that's, that's correct. correct if i can get an instant fact fact check yeah. on that um <laughs> instant fact check confirmed uh and i for me is like was the most haunting movie i saw this year i mean it's 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 very obviously sort of about um these uh, the 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 intersection of you know religion and um and more specifically christianity and uh corporate interests and what we're and basically what we're doing to the environment and i you know i wrote this in in our piece but like two characters say something to the same effect and um and, and ethan hawk who plays this reverend of this small historic church you know says well god forgive us for what we're doing to his creation and ever since i heard that line uh, it's just been sitting with me um, and not sitting particularly well. And and it's just a, you know, Schrader clearly has just a very specific perspective and it's imparted wonderfully and weirdly through this film, um, which also has Cedric the Entertainer and Drano and, uh, you know, you know, it's funny. I was, I was in Florida this weekend and we, and we, um, we went to um, an aquarium and a, like a kids museum and stuff. And this movie has been sitting with me um, because of, you know, a certain character in it. But like, I, 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 I will never look at like a public work or a park or, uh, or a museum that is like sponsored by a corporation that I don't know anything about in quite the same way. Um, you won't just go, Oh, that's nice. What a, this, yeah, is, this seems good. Yeah. Good corporate citizens. Those, those, <laughs> Like in Florida, though, like the one example there, uh, my my in-laws were talking about is like there's a the uh, there's a a museum or some exhibit on like the 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 red tide and all the damage that's doing to the water down there in Florida and sponsored by like um, like uh, the sugar lobby and someone else who are like the two biggest perpetrators of sort of like you know damage to the ocean. Right. So (laughs) it's just and I and I and and. I think it speaks to the greatness of this film that my mind went straight to this movie. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It's, if you look at Paul Schrader's IMDb, things that he's both written and directed, it's such a mix of stuff <laughs> you've heard of and loved and maybe didn't realize that he did, at least especially as a writer, but then just stuff that's just such dog shit. Like if you watch, <laughs> there's this movie called Doggy Dog. It's on Netflix. It's with Nicolas Cage and Willem Dafoe. And in the first five minutes are so stupid and insane. And it's like sort of a satire about modern society and like, and criminals, but it's also just like really bad. <laughs> and so if you watch that movie and then you watch first Storm, there's no way you'd know they were the same director. It just doesn't feel besides like maybe a general sense of, you know, 
the absurd and and the depicting the insane in a lot of ways it just does not feel like the same person first reformed is so like so calm and so contemplative sometimes that the stuff that is crazy is even more crazy because you know or like as you see ethan hawk's descent into like madness it means so much more that he seemed like such a reasonable person that he seemed like you know that he's a man of the cloth and that he's you know ethan hawk and it just plays against your expectations so well and i think it's just you know it's paul schrader's first oscar nomination and it's um it's remarkable in that regard and it's it's you know it's it's wonderful and it's it's definitely it's the one we talked about previously that is not getting a ton of of love but as we said it got an oscar nomination and it's not ignored either i think it's getting an appropriate amount of love given how you know small scale it was and how weird it ends up and turns out to be but it's it's got it sits with you for sure like if you ever if you're a religious person or if you've just you know like you said pondered the impact that you know large corporations and large entities in general have on who we are as people it does a really good job of calling all that out without being preachy pun not yeah. intended yes. just, yeah. just sort of stating the facts as as he sees them and yeah. it's sort of yeah. it feels like a person like paul Schrader, the taxi driver you know writer from so many years down the line who has contributed so much to you know as a writer in particular to film sort of you know growing into this time you know he's he's been a person that's always seen darkness and depravity and <laughs> and uncomfortability with the world and now all of a sudden he's you know the people are like going yeah you're right paul Schrader. like this is kind of fucked up isn't it and he's like now now he's like yeah, I told you, here's like a calm movie about it, you know? I did my crazy shit, now here's a nice calm one about how we're all screwed. When you draw the line from Taxi Driver to this, don't you wonder if, like, Paul Schrader is the most, like, cynical man that there is? Um, <laughs> but is the cynical man right sometimes? Like, at this point, no, I would well, say he, yeah. he is, unfortunately. He's, he's probably lovely at dinner parties. Like, in my experience, a lot of the most cynical people are, are actually, you know... He seems it, like an insane person. I don't know if he'd be good at the dinner. Yeah. Unless you want to have a really rowdy, crazy dinner party where cultural norms are attacked and discussed in detail. And Drano is served on the <laughs> <laughs> a drink. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> uh. All right. Well, let's move to another movie, our fourth of the big five. This one is Roma. This one, I think, is the... It's, it's maybe the most praised of the year. I think it's the most interesting to talk about. And... For better or worse, I think a lot of that conversation is around how it's being presented. It is Netflix's big Oscar foray. It is in theaters in some places. I know I saw it in a theater in Los Angeles, which is relatively easy to do and not surprising. But I think a couple other places got it in theaters. But regardless, it is obviously the main draw is that you can watch on Netflix. It's a great movie. I've seen very few people who, even if they don't love it the way some love it, they find value in it. They realize what good craftsmanship there is. They realize how great director Alfonso Cuaron is. They see value and 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 intensity and and you know tension. Everything he does well is all depicted here. But I I have to say, as someone who saw it in theaters, I uh, cannot imagine watching this for the first time on streaming i probably would have enjoyed it and you obviously enjoyed it as well so it's not um incapable of being enjoyed in that way but it it it, the the scenes that really hit home for me did so because i was fully invested in a theater eyes on screen no distractions i just think if i had even if i have my phone locked in a drawer it would have been really tough to not look around my apartment or think about something else or, you know, I think I would have lost the thread at a certain point. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Andrew. We haven't talked about this in that much detail. It just, it didn't, I'm happy you liked it, but it just didn't seem like the kind of thing that was suitable for the format on which it's been released to the world. Um, so I had the polar opposite experience of you. I watched it in two parts. Oh, um, wow. The, the first two hours Right up to the like cliffhanger is the kid gonna drown in the ocean scene um, when she can't swim uh, on the plane on the way to see my parents, and then I watched the last fifteen minutes in my parents' house later <laughs> that day, um, which she stopped uh, literally right before the end of the movie too. Wow. Uh, well, I didn't. I was like the plane. I had to like. Yeah, you were you were obligated by by yeah. timing. Um, so yes, suboptimal viewing conditions for sure. I mean, first of all, you should always go and see it in the movie theater if you can and you have the wherewithal and the money and all that stuff. Um, I wish I had seen it in the movie theater. It's always better to see a movie in the movie theater. Um, well, maybe not always, but certainly a film like this. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are the kind of person who would think that way anyway. So. Um, I think the the things that worked for me even in that under those suboptimal conditions are um 
and I wrote about this one, just the sort of specificity and richness of the characters. Um, and so it sort of starts with Cleo and that's our window into this world, you know, the, the main character. Um, but it really extends out to like the whole family, which like it was interesting to me. Cause I just wasn't expecting that kind of like emotional connection to, especially like the wife and even like the husband in a weird way and the kids and like, and so, um, and it's obviously like again that I, I compare it to Moonlight because it's so specific in time and place and character um, that it just like Quaron, who this is obviously part of his upbringing, he knows this world. Like it's it, it's only possible for him to have made this movie, um, like it was only possible for Barry Jenkins and the the gentleman who wrote Moonlight. I, I can't remember his name. This um, to have to have done that film, um, and so that's what worked for me. Um, you know, I, I will. I am gonna um, try and revisit it here and, and give it a, the proper, like you know, two hours and fifteen minutes of attention it deserves. I think I do think it would have for me. It would have potentially. I, I may be raving about. I may have been raving about it more had I had I seen it like you did in the theater. But I mean, still, some of the scenes just pack such resonance. I mean, obviously, the when she gives birth to the stillborn babe i mean that oh, one like, i'm sure like for so many reasons that was a big one but filled me and um, i thought that was that i thought that was as tension filled as you know scenes in gravity or children yeah. of men which are violent and yeah and you know and death is a theme in all of them to a certain extent but like our you know adult tangible death as opposed to life then quickly death you know or, or death coming with life but i thought it was i thought that was the most one of the most impressive elements is how he was able to imbue that same fear and that same my heart was you know i started that scene being a little like okay this is intense and by the end i was just like i was crying like i was just like bunched up in my chair like because he just he just he just sticks with it for so long and it's you know it's just so much just going on like nothing is going on and everything is going on at the same time and i think he just i like seeing him work on that small scale and still imbue it with the same level of just you know virtuosity and amazing filmmaking and you know really put you in the seat of what's going on in cleo's mind and everybody's mind yeah and you have to like i think you have to you know you have to put corone in like that conversation of like the greatest working living directors that we have at this point he's it's, it's a relatively small body of work compared with like the coen brothers for example and he he only does something every couple of years but he's just like you said he's just such a powerful storyteller and 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 so visually oriented too i mean like i i wrote we'll be picking apart the symbolism of water and in in that movie for you know for years i mean you know it, um He's just he's just great, and and the movie's great, and uh, I I I wish I could have seen it in the theater, and I can't wait to to give it a better a better look. But I was I was cramming for this exercise that we're going through right now, so <laughs> have to forgive me. No, you saw it. That's what matters. I will say though, my brother's girlfriend works for Netflix, and her family watch this movie, and they were like, "Oh, it's the big movie. We've heard all about it. You work for Netflix. We'll watch the Netflix movie." And she said, "Like, don't watch it. Like, you won't like it. It's just, it's not your cup of tea, you know." And because they, have, you know, Netflix is such a common vehicle now, they they put it on, and I could not imagine not being, you know, a cinephile or a fan of like, you know, slow, methodical filmmaking and watching that opening scene with just the water, yeah, sudsy water, like that like alone, that, that goes on for a very long yeah. time. Like, yeah. if you're not into that kind of stuff, you must have just been foaming at the mouth within the first 30 seconds you know i cannot imagine that's a good experience so i'm i just wonder i i i just can't it's just it's just such a weird way to put a movie like this in the world like it's it's gonna happen more often than not in the future so it's not might as well do it like and it probably got seen by way more people than it ever would have otherwise but i imagine the response from some people has been just disgusted whatever this slow moving piece of shit is yeah five minutes of soap suds and then i have to read the rest of the movie yeah, yes <laughs> yeah. 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 all right well let's let's switch from the small screen and unknown stars uh and uh and and foreign language to like i think probably the i i would say maybe like other than Black Panther, maybe the biggest film of the year. I don't know. Like, I wouldn't say that necessarily. Obviously, the box office would tell us that answer 
in financial terms, but I would say the biggest film of the year in the terms non-Marvel of non-Marvel film of the year. I would yeah, say. well, in terms of yeah, like in the cultural zeitgeist, which is a Star Is Born, um, which uh, you know stars Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, and um, is the fourth time this movie has been made or remade. Um, uh, well, I guess the third time it's been remade. The fourth time it's been made. Um, you know. Uh, I think it's just one of those movies. Like when I found out that this was a movie and that it was remaking, I, I just was like, wait, what? Like Bradley Cooper has surely run out of his string of luck here. He's going to write and direct <laughs> a remake of a Judy Garland and Bob Barbara Streisand film. Like, how is this going to work? This can't possibly work. Um, and to his credit, um, it, it, you know, it's sort of, I wouldn't say it comes off without a hitch, but it's, it's a, powerful affecting film he gets great work out of lady gaga who like you know is a, feels like a renaissance lady just like bradley cooper is a renaissance man i suppose um music's good uh you know it was just it was just great i, I like and uh yeah i mean you talked about this extensively on the podcast episode um with our uh our, our guest who is the most degrees of anyone that we've ever had on the show um and <laughs> he will uh, take, oh he will he loves you know he, he was so proud of his appearance and yeah having a doctor helped right it's educated yes yeah, so we, <laughs> you know, we need a, we need a second opinion um and uh but anyway i you know it's just it's just great it's just a great movie and um you know i guess to bring it back to sort of the that it it, it speaks to you know what a what a big budget um picture that's not like you know spandex and tights in a comic book movie can still do and still you know how it can still enter into this sort of um pop culture mainstream um so it's just it's just a great just a great film it's obviously very sad um but uh you know one i would i would i don't know if i would happily rewatch it but I, I will definitely you know stop when it's on cable which i'm sure it will be soon so. Yeah, and I so I did rewatch it. I went, I saw this twice in theaters, and mm. it was one of the few movies I did this year. And I did that in partial part to do the previous podcast I did, which you can find on inrealdeep.com or previously in our feeds all over the place. But I will say the the stuff that stuck with me, the again with we're talking about moments, some of the the big moments in this. There's three moments that made me cry both times. The initial. I think Lady Gaga singing Belting Out Shallow for the first time, coming out on yeah. stage, Jack calls her out, she sings. I think that's the best moment in the year in movies by far. I think it's one of the most powerful moments I've seen in forever, and I still can't even really put into words why. I feel like I know why it is, but something about the way they do it, the way they build to it, just the character she is at that point, like the crowd, the song being actually good. Like it's just such a perfect storm of everything that I think is just, it's just like, I was just back in my seat, just, just, you know, just tearing up, just like at the raw emotion of it all. Like at a person, you know, living their dream and putting it out there. I think there, they, they depicted that so well. And I will, I've talked about this a bunch, as you said, the second half, I think kind of sucks. I think, you know, I've had people argue to me that it sucks on purpose. They've said, oh, it sucks because that's when she's a pop star. So it should be like slower or dumb. Like, I, I don't I, I don't buy that at all. I think it's just I think there's a natural letdown from a really, really good first half. I think it just sort of runs out of steam to a certain extent. Like, you know, I'm, well, not every scene can be perfect, but I feel like it just didn't have the juice halfway through. I don't think that's why it, quote unquote, sucks in the second half. I why do you think it sucks in the second half? Well, I don't think it's – I do think it sucks on purpose, to use your terminology, um, <laughs> because it the the love story, the 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 bond between um, Allie and and Jack is disintegrating. Um, of course, it's supposed to be like you know sandpaper on your tongue man like it's it's not supposed to be i mean you know you know i'm not saying experience. oh I, the movie they were fighting so the movie made me unhappy like i don't care if people are fighting i just felt like it was like you said this is a remake of a you know a, a sort of timeless story and i just feel like it found captivating ways to make me care in the first half and the second half felt like a rote remake it didn't feel like it was hitting notes it felt like it was hitting all the notes i expected it to hit uh, to to begin its descent 
And I don't think that's the worst thing. I don't think that means bad. I just think it the first half genuinely shook me as tremendous. And the second half felt like exactly what I thought it was going to be like all along when I was sort of naysaying and poo-pooing it and wondering why would anyone give a shit about this movie. Yeah, well, and then, but you also list here two of the three best moments are from the second half of the sure, movie. Sure, I understand <laughs> so, that. I'm not, I'm, not, so. I'm not saying it was garbage or anything. I just, I thought the first half would, overall was just a very well done, and the second half had its peaks for sure, but I think it was a lot more valleys, and just, a little, like I said, a little bit more traditional storytelling, wrapping things up, getting or getting things ready for the, the sort of, not a neat package, but just sort of for the... Uh, for the end game. And I didn't feel like, you know, I, I made fun of this in my, in the, the best of, and I've talked about it a ton to me, one of the, like, and this is a little nitpicky, but I still think it's stupid. Bradley Cooper's character and Sam Elliott's character have like a relatively <laughs> important conversation backstage at Saturday night live. And Sam Elliott's just Ooh. there. Hey, I'm, we're just us talking at SNL. <laughs> like what? It just, it just did not seem like the appropriate venue for that sort of conversation and not the end of the world, but it just didn't, it, the end just did not flow with the, you know, with the, the ease and the enjoyment that I, that I took from the first part. Fair. I'm just saying it, the end is not supposed to be fun. Um, <laughs> no, I understand um, a man dies on purpose at his own hand, so yeah, yeah. that's not very fun. Uh, one thing I will say, I have seen the Judy Garland version. I haven't seen the Barbara Streisand one or the one before that from the 30s. Um, this one is so superior to the Judy Garland one, and uh, I know people like Karina Longworth and others like really like the Judy Garland one, but Judy Garland one is like three hours long and not nearly as... Um, in my view, uh, it's yeah. three hours long. What do they do? Yeah. For three hours. Um, a lot more a lot drinking, of... <laughs> uh, <laughs> more songs. I don't really know that there are that many more songs to be honest. Um, <laughs> that's pretty yeah. bad. So, so, um, and that's, that's another reason why I was like, he's remaking the, why is he making this movie? Like, it's not that good. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, it's it's it certainly in a year where that's defined by moments. This is you know maybe the most mo- momenty movie of them all. So, yep, I would agree with that, and not in a bad way, just just in a in an honest way. This is what it is. So is it time to pick our favorite child? I think so. This is tough, man. We've really gone through all of these. I don't even. I hope if you're lean. I, I remember last year we sort of uh, had like a on you know, mic negotiation to get to that point. I'm, I could like, like, like we said at the beginning, nothing in this, you know, nothing jumps out at me even after these conversations as the best uh, of the year. So I'm really curious to hear if you have a more definitive take. Well, I think we could probably throw out black Klansman based on what we've kind of said about, um, the, 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 the punchy moments surrounded by sort of a, a more, straightforward film so that's the only one i that's the only one i sit there of those five and i'm like yeah nah not don't feel like that's the best one the other one that i would sort of throw out but only because of my experience watching it is just roma like i we kind of talked about i just don't know that i got the full effect there yet so i don't i don't know that i'd feel comfortable picking it as um as my number one um any of the other three would work sort of work for me um uh i found first reform to be the most affecting of the films and the favorite to maybe be the one that makes me kind of smile the most but beyond that i don't really you could easily talk me into a star is born as well as sort of like you know one will we you know we we pick creed in the past year so it's like one <laughs> it's a mainstream picture we won't look back on with any shame you know so um yeah i don't know if you have any other thoughts there i i could i could be talked into any any one of those i it was certainly easier last year when it was like yeah it's definitely got get out or dunkirk it's got to be one of those two so yep so i will say i agree with the ones you removed i think if we had both seen roma in theaters that could have changed the conversation, but I'm also not sad to hear you say that because as much as I liked it and I thought it was great, it, it, it definitely feels like the kind of movie that I appreciate for its, 
you know, storytelling and technical mastery for sure. But just it's I don't know that it's going to I don't know I I on like a list that we've described as not only the best but the favorite of movie we've seen of the year. I just don't know that Roma fits that bill exactly. Like yeah. I don't I didn't I didn't walk out of it saying uh, you know I want to I though I did see it again on Netflix. That was more just to you know see the great moments that I really enjoyed yeah. and be and just appreciate Coron's you know handiwork and how how impressive he is. I think the favorite should be out as well. As much <laughs> as I enjoyed it, just because it was, I thought it was fun. I mean, it had, it didn't have a, it had something to say, obviously, it, but it was more just like, I thought it was just a really enjoyable and character study depiction of, you know, a, a different, a period piece kind of, like a combo of the two. Uh, was fun, really enjoyable to watch, but I didn't walk out of it thinking anything beyond that. That it was just a good old movie. I will say, I'm leaning to, after, even after all we just said, I'm leaning towards The Star is Born, to be honest. Like, it's, it's not perfect by any means. And I, it, but it's the kind of movie that I sort of thought was going to win Best Picture before all things sort of shifted <laughs> a little bit, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, in a later episode. episode. Yeah. I just think it is, when I look back at this yeah. year and when I look back at all the movies that are on this list, it's the one I'm going to think about more. As much as I like First Reformed, Again, that, that, that it just feels like a really, really good movie that I saw in 2018. I do think when A Star Wars Barn is on TV, I'm going to watch it a bunch. When people ask me about this year in movies and sort of that combination of the commercial and the critical, I think A Star Wars Born encapsulates that in a really strong way. And I think, you know, we as much as we are, you know, film nerds in a lot of ways, I think we appreciate a really well done popular movie that yeah. makes a lot of money and that is successful with everybody and isn't just up its own butt and for a subset of the audience. Like I like a good movie that is for everybody, that also there's layers to unpack. And if you listen to that last episode I did with my friend Chris, I think we unpacked there are a lot of layers to a Star Wars Born I don't, again, I don't think that makes it perfect or that it makes it, you know, a world beater to end all world beaters, but I do think it probably should be the best of the year. I'm on board with it. Oh, so I'm we're good. doing it. Even, wow. Even though, even though the favorite has it right in the title, it just says favorite. <laughs> I know, I did say favorite, and I was like, well, that's sort of... It's very <laughs> literal. I wonder how much of that has been working into my brain as I scroll past. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm good with that. I think that's that's a... That's, there's no shame in that choice at all. And, um, and, uh, like you said, like from a, from a likely to rewatch many, many times in the future, like, you know, the star is born. It's gotta be top of the list this year. And, uh, you know, would fit right in again with like the, some of our past picks, mainly Creed, like in mm-hmm. terms of just, yeah, a really well-made popular film. I mean, I think there's something to say, too. Like, I have, I have friends who do not enjoy going to the movies. They'll watch whatever at home. They'll rent it. They'll stream it on yeah. Netflix. I think part of why I enjoy going to the movies, I don't need people to, like, burst out into applause at the end of a movie or a song or any element of the film. But I like I like being with a crowd. You can feel yeah. them getting into the movie, you know? Yes. like. I like the general sense that even if they're not being vocal, they're enjoying what they're watching. And I got that both time I saw Star Wars Born. Yeah. And I, I don't want to go and like, I've been to plenty of these, those small eight person theaters where you watch a, a good movie on a very specific, you know, screen and just with a very nerdy crowd. That to me is not exactly why I go. Like I like yeah. the experience and mm-hmm. a Star Wars Born is, is an experience and it's a moment movie and it does the stuff it does really well. It does really, really well. It's a moment movie for a moment year. Yeah, there you a go. Be- a best movie is born. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. But I feel like the nerdiest thing you've ever said. Uh, uh, probably not. Not even in top five, uh, but it definitely, can't, can't in that close. moment, it struck me. Can't can't such. Maybe very, very dad, dad jokey. But... <laughs> well, you are very much a dad now, so that uh, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Wow, okay, well there we go. I honestly did not think that was the way we were going to go, even as we were talking about the movie, but I think, as you said, it does make a lot of sense. It fits the bill as what we described as sort of the the year itself, and I think it's a good choice. It's definitely one, if, if you know, it's not our goal, but like, as we said, we don't look back on our best ofs and regret them. I don't think we're going to look back on A Star is Born and regret it. It may fade a little bit from we may wonder why we liked it so much, but we definitely won't wonder why it was good. We might just go, eh, it was, it was very good. It was very nice. That's yeah, and then I'll, I'll pin it on you because you made the choice. So. <laughs> That's right. There's historical proof of it. There's a podcast and everything, so you yeah. can easily do that. There you go. 
All right. Well, that does it. Stars Born is the movie of 2018. As we said, go to inrealdeep.com. The best of 2018 is right there on the homepage. It's also shared on our social media. <laughs> go take a look. Enjoy it. We have a lot more words, even though we just said so many words you know, in an audio format here. We wrote thousands of words as well. So go consume more Andrew, more Steve, more of our best of. You shan't be disappointed. Andrew, anything else for the people before we wrap up 2018 officially on UnrealDeep.com? Oscars are coming. Oh, Come, they're coming. They're coming in, coming in hot. Oh, they sure are. There's so much more to be talked about there. And I guess we're going to have to talk about it because we're slaves to the process and the calendar and the downloads and the cultural conversation. But really, like, like we always say, you know, a parting gift before we get to the Oscars, find your favorite critic, read their top 10 lists, that's just as valuable as anything the Oscars say. They're a big ceremony. People wear dresses and suits, and it's very nice. But what really matters is if you're an actual fan of film, just find someone whose interests you agree with, whose cinematic you know, desires you share, and see their top 10, their top 15, their top 20. You're so much more likely to enjoy that than going by some big dumb academy that has a lot of holes and easily nitpicked options. Agree. We both agree. There we go. Thank you so much for joining us, all of our fans. We had a great time in 2018. There's a ton of great stuff on the In Real Deep podcast and InRealDeep.com. Go check them out. Reviews, plenty more to come. Like Andrew said, some sad Oscar stuff, but it has to happen, <laughs> and we will be providing it for you. So, again, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll be seeing you further on up the road. Adios. Adios.